0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: I'm Kayla Benny, back in Chestertown, Maryland.
2: And I'm Charlie Brister from the land down under. And you're listening to the monthly breeding and horse sales episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for August the 27th. This episode is brought to you by Supreme Top Form. Good morning, horse world.
1: And I'm... Today's show, which is a special episode that airs every fourth Thursday of the month on Horses in the Morning, brought to you by Supreme Top Form, Charlie and myself are going to invite an auditor, Patricia, on to share her experience about buying and importing an Icelandic horse from actual Iceland. The show is going to close out with vet Chuck Arns- Arnsberg of Equine Veterinary Care Hill, Maryland about vetting young horses, older horses, and what we might need to look for.
3: Good morning! It's Thursday. Let's kick the
2: tires and light the fires, Big Daddy. Your presence is required on the command deck.
1: So, Charlie, how's the land down under?
2: It's fabulous, actually. Uh, It's quite fitting that we're doing another episode and we're talking to a vet today because I'm actually about, hopefully, knock on wood, going to sell a horse today. I've got the vet coming. Uh, Is a 10-year-old thoroughbred that I've been training for about six weeks and just put a video up last week and that has blown up social media. And had a lot of interest. So, sounds like it's going to a really good home. So,
1: fingers crossed. I'm going to keep but my what fingers about you? I'm going to keep my fingers and toes crossed for you. Um, I actually just had a horse vetted. Um, we actually had to pause the vetting because he stepped on a clip about three weeks ago and was taking a few funny steps. Going that direction. So we've paused the vetting, we're regrouping, giving him 10 to 14 days and then going to keep keep our fingers crossed that he jogs sound on a circle. Um, you know, it's really hard to keep these animals alive once you make that appointment. Yeah. You make you make the appointment for the vetting and they just become suicidal, I swear. <laughs>
2: Well, I know. Um, yeah, I'd be win- I'd be a bit stiff if I stepped on a clip. I'd be whinging for a couple of weeks too. So I can understand it. And is the potential buyer uh, being con- considerate and understanding of this whole process?
1: They're being amazing, actually. So I mean, I gave them the history of that the horse stepped on the clip. Um, and he did actually, I mean, he stepped on it enough. He drew blood. So it was, it was kind of nasty. Um, the horse never took a full lame step on the straight line. So we gave him a week off. We kept the shoe on because he's a thoroughbred right off the track and we didn't want his feet. We didn't want his feet to fall apart. So, but my farrier was awesome, carved out a spot so we could soak and pack it. Um, put him back into work. They came and tried him, loved him, set up the vetting. And it was actually quite surprising, but it is, I mean, we put a block in, he blocked to the foot, everything looks fine on x-ray. So we're just going to wait it out a bit and then, and then go back to it. And I mean, I mean, that's all you can do and you just have to be really logical and make sure that, you know, this is the right horse for the right buyer Everything's good. We're gonna get him reshod, and then proceed on. And I'm I'm keeping my fingers and toes crossed because I really like the potential buyers. They're awesome. It would be an amazing home, and but I also really like the horse. So you know, if he sticks around longer, I'm not gonna be heartbroken.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's. Uh, I guess there's always a silver lining in every cloud. It's been yep. interesting with this horse that um, is getting vetted. Like I said after i put the video sale video up last week i was getting quite a lot of interest and it's been i had this lady come on sunday to look at him and then i had about three other people wanting to come this week and the first lady said oh well i'm going to get a vetting in a week's time monday next week and i just had to call up and say you know uh that's uh, a little far away you really if you I don't want to pressure you or anything, but if you want to buy this horse, you've got to get that vetting done sooner rather than later or, you know, put a deposit down. Otherwise, uh, you know, I need to show some other people this horse because, as you know, a week is a
1: long time in the horse world. Absolutely. And it's a long time to keep a horse alive, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be yeah. quite honest. Um, so, I mean, you just mentioned deposits and I want to pick your brain really quick because that brings up a, a little bit of a tricky subject. Do you take deposits on your horses?
2: I uh, I can count on one hand the number of times I've done it uh both given or received deposits it's yeah because it just enters a bit of a tricky territory and, and it's not common for a lot of people mm-hmm. i think uh you've just got to be clear you know i just like let's say this was a, for a ten thousand dollar horse so right. i was i'd say you know only like five percent and, and if everything goes well then that comes off the sale price of course But you just got to talk to the potential buyer and then also, you know, the the owner of the horse and sort of get make sure everyone's on the same page. And I guess I was lucky that there were a lot of people interested. So it's a lot easier to uh, get things happening and when that's, you know, the pressure's on. Yep. So I think as long as you've got that clear and in in writing, even in in an email, I'm no lawyer, but you want a record (laughs) of it, that's for sure. Absolutely. You know what people are like.
1: Exactly. And I mean, I only bring it up because it gets really tricky. Um, I've seen it more often than I've experienced it, but that people will put a deposit down. They think that they have the horse held and then they d- they change their mind um, partway through the process. They don't even make it to the vetting sometimes. And then it becomes a dodgy situation as a seller because then you go back to the people that were in line to come and try the horse and you say, okay, well the horse is available again. And then it, it just creates an uneasy situation. So that's, that's more of why I asked. Cause I, I tend to not take a deposit, um, personally, cause it, it just leaves things in a little bit of a gray area, even if you're really clear, um, people can still get wishy-washy or circumstances Mm, change week to week. You know, one week they have the money, something comes up family-wise and situations change, um, which, I mean, happens to everyone, life happens. Um, So it's just interesting everyone else's practices, um, things like that. Yeah, I
2: was much happier that uh, the vetting was able to be moved and uh, it worked out well because we needed a horse gelded so we've arranged for that same vet to do that. Get, do the gelding afterwards.
1: <laughs> do the so wham bam. Be, um, Thank you, Sam.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get um, get a couple things in. Yep. So I'll will um I'll be interested. We'll have to put that sale video on the Facebook page, and I'd love everyone's recommendations on what I could have, what they would have liked to have seen. It. I know we talked about that last episode. And,
1: uh, I mean, I, I saw your sale video and, uh, you did not heed my advice. You put music on that sale video.
2: I, you know, <laughs> I've never been one. To, I'm not a good listener. Let's be honest. What, what I have done for, uh, this horse, which I've, this is, I only shown him to two people now. Oh, this is the second lady that tried him wanted to buy him. What I did, which was a recommendation from, Rebel Morrow, actually, who's an Olympic eventing rider. She went to the Athens Games in 2004 on a little thoroughbred. Mm -hmm. She, because of what I do, you know, a lot of the horses I sell are to the adult amateur, and a lot of them come, you know, without a coach, and uh, you end up spending an hour and a half teaching the lady or the, the guy on the horse. She said, you know, get them to come for a lesson on the horse, And either they bring their own coach or they come and have a lesson um, because, you know, on Sunday I spent nearly two hours helping this lady. So that's actually been uh, a good thing, you know, just just charging a normal lesson and just going through everything and, and still going for about twice as long as a normal lesson. So they still get a lot of value out of that. But I found that quite good, you know, as a coach, you know, you're sometimes short on time and. overworked and underpaid, I'm sure.
1: (laughs) Yep. That actually, uh, that also brings up another point. There's a sale barn in Virginia um, that's owned by Tom and Claire's Mansman, and they actually, they're known for, they will charge you a lesson fee um, if you don't bring your coach to try the horses and then the lesson fee is reimbursed if you end up purchasing the horse, so that they can help you on the horse. It covers their time. Um, it's not an off like a a practice that is practiced by most people, but it's along the same lines. You know, they either come for a, the idea of a lesson or they bring their coach just so if you're not feeling confident to come try the horse on your own, you at least have some guidance. Um, so I think it's
2: a great idea. I'm all, yeah. I'm all about it. I'm <laughs> all about
1: it. Yeah. So, Charlie, we have a listener question. So, we have an auditor that was on the Facebook page, and she was talking about the intimidating process of buying a horse, most likely sight unseen, because in the area that she lives, it's not a um, highly... Specific area for her sport preference, which is endurance in her case. I guess the question is, what do you do if you're buying a, a horse sight unseen? Do you have any recommendations for her?
2: Well, definitely got a lot of recommendations there for our avid listener. But before we talk about that, how about I mention our title sponsor for this episode, which is Supreme Top Form. Now, these joint supplements are amazing. The Glucosamine is 99.8% pure, and the hyaluronic acid, 99% pure. So it's concentrated and easy to feed, cost-effective. It is independently lab-tested for purity, so you know that what you get is on the label. They have both dog and horse supplements, which is great for any horse person. You don't see many horse people without a dog. Just check out Kayla on her Facebook and her amazing dog, (laughs) Weldon. You can visit panamvetcore.com. That's panamvetcore, cor com for more information. We'd love for you to check them out. They're awesome. So the intimidating process of buying a horse sight unseen. Now, that is definitely something I have done and don't recommend, although the last horse I bought sight unseen was five years ago and i still own the horse and she's awesome uh but definitely came with a few things i didn't know about her i didn't get enough information i didn't get a pre-purchase done uh she turned up and was a year younger than i thought um she's been sound as a bell ever since i've had her so i'm definitely lucky there i think the big thing is yeah getting the information getting the videos and even paying for uh, someone different to ride her other than her normal rider. So if you can get the trainer or the late person that's selling the horse to put someone different on and video that just to see how the horse reacts with a a slightly different type of riding. Um, But in the scheme of things, you know, a horse is a really long-term investment. So, you know, even if it's a bit hard to or inexpensive to travel interstate, it can certainly be worthwhile in the long run of making sure that you find a good match. Uh, and that's I always recommend. Even if it costs you $500 to go and look at a $2,000 horse, it's worthwhile when you take into account the feed bills, vet bills, farrier bills, lessons with Kayla bills, all those sorts of things. <laughs> Are there any other things? Yeah. Are there any other things you'd recommend trying uh, or looking to buy a horse sight unseen?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I've also bought horses sight unseen. Um, I was a little bit more risky. I bought a horse from the Czech Republic, actually bought three um, off of YouTube videos. And now I did do my homework before I bought them, though. I... Um, sent messages to people that I'd known had bought from the seller before, asked about certain things, you know, okay, so they horses, the horses come with x-rays. How do we know that they are the horse's actual x-rays without paying a vet to come out and redo all the x-rays? Mm. Um, and I had a couple people that had... Bought the horse uh, and then resold the horse and the x-rays matched. So that was at least comforting. Um, And they had really nice things to say. Um, I spoke with the actual seller multiple times on the phone. um, Asked them to do more videos when they flex the horse, um, you know, for a pre-purchase. I had them video that whole process so I could watch Um, you know, and you're, you are taking the leap of faith, but you have to use your connections as well. You know, call as many people as you can that you trust. Um, if you can't get there, pay someone, like you said, to, to go out and sit on the horse or beg them, you know, if you don't want to pay them, at least beg and bribe and do whatever you need to do. Um, and, you, but use your connections. In this instance, for uh, Jillian, who brought up the topic, I would say she's looking for more of an endurance type horse, which. I don't have any expertise in the endurance, um, but one of the hosts of this, one of the special episodes, the endurance episode, Karen Chatton, came on and said she was more than happy to point her in the right direction. So use that connection. Um, if you feel like you don't have a direct connection, but you know enough people, go into a Facebook group, start asking questions, um, and then do your homework from there. And I would always recommend doing a vetting when possible, um, even if it's a really cheap horse. That horse could, mm. so, like you said, it's an investment. It could cost a lot of money in the back end
2: well, of all of it. Especially if you're looking at an endurance horse, even if you're only doing a forty, you know, a twenty mile ride. That's still a lot of uh, a lot of distance compared to what most horses do these days. So you want to make sure that they've got the soundness and the joint stability to stand up for that
1: yep, yep. absolutely well let us
2: we've got to get you out and do an endurance ride Taylor
1: <laughs> I don't know I don't think my bum would uh hold up to that <laughs> it's a long time in the saddle
2: yeah I did I bro. I started a three-year-old Arabian endurance bred horse a few years ago for a lady and lovely horse i think he was still a colt, so he was a bit opinionated but just a beautiful animal muscly and good movement Could, jumped a little bit as well only just jumped him a little cross rail it was of his age but then i sent him back to the owner after a month of being started called up a week later to see how he was going make sure he you know was still behaving and settled in well she said oh he's gone lame i said what what do you mean what happened? She goes, Oh, well, I did 150 Ks, you know, <laughs> which is just under a hundred miles, uh, this week. And I went, Oh my God, you just like a hundred miles on a three-year-old. What do you expect? Um, so, you know, you never know what the, if you're buying a horse, what that person might've done. So, and that's why you yeah. need to yeah you know, talk to other people, see what it's like getting horses from them if possible.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think we should crack on to our first guest, which is an auditor. So I'm super excited to hear from her. And then maybe we'll get to some more listener questions after that. So today we have auditor Pat on to chat with us about her experience horse shopping and buying and importing an Icelandic horse from actual Iceland. Um I just want to make a side note too. If you want to become an auditor, which is a super listener, and help support the radio network and all of its shows, just go to the horseradio com and click on the auditor banner on the right side of the page. But I'd like to introduce Pat. Pat, how are you?
3: I'm great, thank you.
1: <laughs> so, that is what
2: we like to hear.
1: Yeah, she's a super <laughs> listener, Charlie. She, she. I helps. didn't
2: realize we had these um, auditors that you told me that I'm like oh my god I'm getting audited this is this the IRS because <laughs> if so I'm in trouble
1: <laughs> not quite not quite but uh, Pat is a super listener and um, I put a post out on the auditor page which is a private group on Facebook and reached out to people about their buying experiences and Pat came on and was talking about buying an Icelandic horse from Iceland and I thought that that was quite unique and we needed to have her on the show so Pat take it away like where did you find this horse how did you get into this weird journey
3: you know it was a weird journey now that you say that (laughs) Um, I'm up here in Vermont. And one of the things that's popular here is the Icelandic horse. I think there are probably four or five different farms within a couple hundred miles. And um, about, oh gosh, five or six years ago, we went to a farm called Vermont Icelandic Horse Farm. And they do everything from one hour trail rides up to five-day treks where they go in-to-in, in and it just lasts for days. Um, that's a little much for me, so friends or my husband and I, we would go on these trail rides, and the first time I went, we were tolting up the road, you know, and this is in Vermont, so there are big hills and trees. It's just beautiful, and Man. I said to the owner, I have to buy one of these, so that's how it got started. <laughs>
2: You, Pat, you just threw out a word there I thought i better bring to light because I'm sure some of our listeners aren't would be a little confused. You said you were tolting up a hill. Now, um, if you could let us know exactly what the tolt is.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, many gated breeds have different ways of moving, and what makes them gated is a lateral gait. So what that means is is the legs, the front and back legs on the same side are going to move. It, it would appear the same time, but they're just slightly off. So it ends up being right hind, right front, left hind, left front. So it's an even four-beat gait, and it's unique to the Icelandic. They um, Some horses are four-gated, so they have a walk, trot, tolt. And they don't really have a canter. It's called a gallop, but obviously the canter is a slower version of a gallop. And some are five-gated, and it adds a faster gait called a flying pace, which is a very lateral gait where all four feet are suspended, and it's a racing gait. That's I what I want to do.
2: Say, that sounds, that <laughs> sounds like the, uh, the trotters <laughs> down here, which have a very big pace on them. Yep. And what yeah. were you and uh, before you you know Icelandic horses piqued your interest, what was your riding experience?
3: Oh gosh. I mean, I, I feel like I've owned so many different breeds from quarter horses. Um, I've had a sixteen two hand thoroughbred. Uh, a Morgan, so just a variety of horses. Um, my father was allergic growing up, so I had to wait until I was twenty two before I bought my first horse for four hundred dollars <laughs> and uh, I yeah so i've you know I've worked at standardbred tracks i 've you know worked professionally in horses, halter horses, all sorts of areas, and um, I had gotten out of horses for several years. And, you know, we just, I got my husband into polo, which was a big mistake. Now we have a polo horse too, <laughs> <laughs> but we would go riding for fun. And these little guys just captivated me.
2: The, I guess they're probably almost the right height for polo, but they don't quite have that uh, turn and agility necessary.
3: That's true. He's never really wanted to play polo on my horse, but... In polo, the length of the mallet is in relation to the size of horse you ride. So I don't think he has a mallet small enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's good. We wouldn't want him stealing your new horse. No. And uh, had had you been to Iceland, um, you know, before you got into this idea, or this idea then created the desire to go and travel to Iceland?
3: Exactly. It's the latter. Um, You know, the first time I rode these little guys, I came home, was determined I was going to own one and started doing a little research. And, you know, I've never really been the type of person who goes over several times a year to ride there, but the way they train and the way they bring up their horses, is so different from what we do in this country that that became interesting. So I started looking for horses in this country, suffered a little sticker shock because I assumed the price tag would go with the size of the horse. It doesn't.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so. Needless to say, it was a few years uh, before I actually bought my first horse. It just took a, a while to think, you know, this much money for a shaggy pony. It just didn't make sense to me. Um, but, you know, I got over it and uh, eventually bought one.
2: You mentioned that uh, the way they do things over there is very different what, in, in regards to breeding and raising them. How does that differ from what you've seen in America?
3: That's a great question. So when they have the baby, um, it actually gives birth on its own outside, probably in the wild. Um, They will go out and find the baby. But for the most part, they leave the baby alone with the mom for four years. So what the baby does is it learns how to be a horse. It learns how to live in a very extreme environment. you know, traversing creeks and fjords and volcanoes, uh, rocky terrain. It learns all of these things so that when at four years old they bring it down to train it, it's uh, very independent thinking, and um, it's a real partner as opposed to being babied you know, from the moment it hits the ground. It's a rough little character, and um, they're a little bit more aloof, the ones that are raised in Iceland, because they're not handled from day one like horses here, but it makes a great, well-rounded little partner.
2: Yeah, they sound uh, pretty in- tough and independently-minded.
3: They are.
2: And uh, I guess uh, I wonder if any of these little Icelandic horses made it onto Game of Thrones when they were (laughs) filming over there. It would be interesting if you had a famous one in your midst.
3: You know, I don't know about that, but um, I know I was just watching the most recent season of Norsemen on Netflix, and there are tons of them there. I was like, "Look, it's an Icelandic," so they do <laughs> show up. Lord of the Rings, places like that.
2: So they they do seem to be pretty strong, though. Like you mentioned, they can carry, um, you know, a bigger bigger people than what you'd think for their size. Because we're wondering about. Land the producer, you know, we're thinking he needs to get himself one, if that's possible.
3: It's very possible. They actually have the bone density of a draft horse. So you might see, you know, their sizes range from 12 to now they're breeding larger ones up to 15 hands and above but my mare that I have now is 13 hands, and she easily carries my husband. They're just, you know, they're, they're very cooperative horses. They work with you as a team. They're very friendly, very engaging with what you want to do. All of these things make them a great riding horse, but they can carry full-size men easily.
2: And so how did you go about finding uh, this particular horse in Iceland?
3: So I made the mistake of asking a local, um, there's a woman who's from Iceland and she has a farm in Southern Vermont called Solheimer. And, you know, I just started entertaining the idea of another horse, which you should never do because you know what's going to happen. You're going to find a horse and you're going to buy the horse. Um, So I asked her, since she's really known for importing Uh, horses from her home country and they'll come 10 or 12 in a group on one airplane from Iceland. So I made the mistake of saying, hey, what's coming over? Because I knew a shipment was coming. So of course, she sends me this picture of Voros who is a silver dapple. She's 14 hands, which is, you know, slightly on the large side. She was basically my dream horse. So she sent me this photo and I joked with her. I'm like, you're like a crack dealer. You just sent me something. (laughs) I can't, I can't now forget that I saw this. So thanks.
1: (laughs) So Pat, what was the,
3: did you vet her or is she just
1: coming over? Tell us about that process.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Since I was working with this importer, and she's from that country, speaks the language, knows the culture, and has many contacts there in terms of breeding farms, friends, and whatnot, um, what the process was from the beginning was it was just really easy. So she knew of a horse uh, that was for sale that fit my needs, uh once I said yep I would like to go forward with this she set up the pre-purchase exam got the x-rays done they were sent to me I forwarded them on to my vet who then forwarded them on to colleagues at Cornell for another opinion and once all of that checked out I committed to buying the horse signed a purchase agreement and the money was wired
1: <laughs> Fantastic and has she flown over yet um what? where's the layover? Because I know when they come from Europe, um, sometimes they have to lay over in Holland before they ship over. Is it similar process, or do they go straight from Iceland?
3: Yeah, it always has been. Originally, they would go Iceland to JFK and quarantine there. For a while, they were laying over in Belgium and then flying to JFK. So The price of the flights really varies depending on um, Iceland Air, um, how many horses are coming. But now, um, after my importer worked really hard with Iceland Air, they now have a direct flight from uh, Iceland. I think it's Klakovec or something like that right into JFK and they quarantine for only three days because they just don't have diseases there. You know, if a horse leaves, it can never go back. If you go over for a riding trip, you can't bring your riding stuff. You have to buy all new. So they're very, um, stringent about getting into Iceland. They don't have flies there. They don't have the things that we have here. So they, the quarantine's very short So she'll come at the end of September and be in quarantine for three days and then get shipped up to my importer's farm in Vermont, where she'll acclimate to this country and, you know, work on seeing the things that we have here that they don't have there for about 30 days. And then she'll come here.
1: That sounds that's so exciting. And that's really interesting um that's similar
2: to australia with the the three-day quarantine we my mare when i took it to america only had yeah three days in in new york because of the lack of diseases here so that was that was not that was definitely nice for the horse yeah but if you want to bring a horse to australia it's you know two months
1: or something and i know new zealand's very similar as well right yeah yeah because they're even smaller rugby uh, okay, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, so she comes in September. She'll be, and then she just comes to your farm, or are you keeping her at a boarding stable?
2: How far yeah, we... is the importer from yours?
3: Yeah, that's a good question, too. She's about 90 minutes from me. So once she goes through a little more training, um, acclimates to the area, you know, they don't have a lot of trees in Iceland. They were cut down several hundred years ago. And so when they get here, you know, we live in a very lush environment. There are thick bushes. Um, we need her to know how to walk on the side of a road, how to be in a forest, all of these things. So she'll stay there, learn all of those things, or at least get started with it for 30 days, get new shoes, dental care, the vaccine she needs to be in this country. Uh, And then at the end of October, she'll move to our boarding barn, which is about five miles from my house.
2: It's probably um, that time of year in America... Uh, The fall, you know, it's a bit better for her to be arriving. It's probably more similar to Iceland than if she was coming in June or July, I guess. Is that um, something that you thought would be a benefit?
3: Yeah, that's a good point. I actually hadn't thought of it, but I think it's going to make the transition smoother. Um, One of the things that I was concerned about buying a horse in Iceland is about 30% of the horses that get imported Ah, uh, develop summer eczema since they don't have the insects there that we have here. They oftentimes have an allergy to a biting midge. So, um, part of another part of the good timing is that she'll be coming late enough where those insects aren't an issue. And there's quite a bit of talk of having a vaccine next year for summer eczema. So really hoping the timing works out well
1: just in case
3: she did develop that.
1: And so what's your writing plans for her? What what's your goals?
3: My goal is to stay on. (laughs) 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 I think that's all of our goals. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, you know, I want to get to know her gradually. She's only five and oftentimes they'll live to 30, 40 years old. She's probably going to outlive me. Um, But just to start really slowly with her, develop her as a good trail horse. We've got several videos showing how bomb proof she is, but she is a youngster. Um, so just to get to know her gradually and eventually just take her out on the trail, I'm not sure if we're going to compete on her. I think her gates are good enough to compete. Of course, my husband wants to take out, take her out and do the flying pace and do all these competitions, but he's got to calm down about that. Um, (laughs) so just have fun with her and enjoy her.
2: I saw a video on Facebook a little while ago. About the uh, the beer tolt is a is a big competition in in Iceland. So I'm wondering, is that do they have the beer tolt in Vermont? And could you tell the, um, you know, or maybe you need to start up the beer tolt Have you I heard? Of she needs tradition? to start that.
3: <laughs> you know, that's something we could work on. Um, you know, the Icelandic, we, we call them shows, but they take place on a quarter-mile oval track, so it's not a ring like you typically see at a horse show, and the horses are competing against an ideal gate. so there are lots of different classes, and... Um, you know, it's a, it's a very cool thing. There's a lot of fast horses. And at the end of the day, everyone's tired, exhausted. They do the beer toll. So there's lots of music. Everyone gets a full stein of beer. And since you direct rain Icelandics, you now have a beer in one hand, and you're supposed to deal with these two reins in one hand. So I've learned that the tip is you tie those reins together. They're not going to neck rein, but you just hold on. So whoever... <laughs> Has the most beer at the end is the winner, so that signifies a smooth gait.
2: I love this. I reckon we should
1: uh, <laughs>
2: institute this in a few other disciplines as well. Maybe not cross country, uh, but I think that's definitely the most dressage. Idea.
1: That's oh, that would make dressage so much more enjoyable.
2: <laughs> or maybe you have to drink the Stein of beer before the test and see who doesn't spew from the sitting trot. So. Do you have Pat? Do you have any recommendations for, you know, people that want to are more interested in the Icelandic horses, and they want to find out more, or they're like, "Oh, I've always been interested. Um, maybe I want to get my own." Are there any, you know, groups on Facebook, websites, or people they can, you know, look up for information on this?
3: Yeah, you know, as always, Facebook is really great for information search Icelandic horse. You'll find all sorts of local clubs. Um, the U S I H C is our governing body. There's tons of information there, but the best way is to get started with a local club because you'll meet people. You can go ride the horses and we don't call them ponies. Just, I'm so glad you guys got that.
1: <laughs> I was very careful. I've kept wanting to say pony and I was like, no, I'm pretty sure it's a horse. <laughs>
2: We we usually call the big horses uh, ponies here at mine. My stepfather, he's a racehorse trainer and he had a a little jockey apprentice come work for him and he said, oh, just go get that pony out of a stable 20 and tack it up. And he comes back and he goes, boss, boss, there's no pony there. What do you mean? And he goes out there and there's a 17.2 and Clyde sale. He said, yeah, that's the pony.
3: i guess Only. when you're little you know no one wants to use the p word but if you're 17 <laughs> hands you can call them ponies
1: <laughs> it's a <the> napoleon complex
3: <laughs> i think so you know and i'm five two so they seem normal size to me like they just i don't know I, on a big horse i never felt like um i had all that much control i just felt too big and these guys are like little ferraris but I guess pony is an English word. So, you know, these were Viking horses, so they just don't like the P word.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's understandable. Well, thanks very much for coming on, Pat. This has been awesome getting some more info on Icelandic horses and, you know, the process from, uh, you know, a small time listener, not one of the, some of the big breeders and buyers we've had on in the past. And uh, I can't wait to see uh, some updates on on your new addition to the family.
3: Thank you, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it.
1: You know, Charlie, we have the most amazing auditors. They're really interesting. That I'm whole...
2: surprised someone people even listen to us. Like, <laughs> are you making these questions up, Kayla? That come <laughs> from the auditors?
1: No, because we just talked to an auditor. Uh... <laughs> I swear. Up. I swear! I um, swear! But let's get to another listener question before we get to Chuck uh, with the vet segment. So, we have a, a listener question about how to market horse for sale if you're an amateur owner that's not in a program with a trainer regularly.
2: I think I uh, guess you've got to make sure you're getting the right material to market. You're getting good photos. You're getting good videos. Whether you know you need to. Um, get a friend or family member and say, hey, I'll buy you a box of chocolate. Come over here. I need some video. Make sure you get the sun in the right position so you move the sun where you need it to be so the <laughs> shadow is not in the video, those sorts of things. Or then when you've got that, if you can edit it and make a good quality footage or make it look better, don't put any music on it. Otherwise, Taylor <laughs> won't buy your horse. You, what I do, I've got a really good friend who is a producer or used to be a producer for tv so you know she'll do a very ordinary job in her opinion but in my opinion it looks awesome so getting that those videos and photos put together in a really economical and uh, you know aesthetically pleasing fashion and then i think in australia anyway just finding all the different facebook groups that suit the type of horse you're selling so Down here, we would have Facebook groups for uh, people, you know, low-level show jumping or high-level show jumping or endurance. You know, there's all those sorts of groups. So, find them and just start um, putting those those ads into the Facebook groups. You know, as long as you're playing by the rules of the Facebook groups and not annoying anyone, that's going to be a great way to get some attention.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, there are websites too. So Dream Horse for the U.S. listeners, Dream Horse, uh, Equine Now, things like that. You can also put them on and uh, but just market, market, market. And now we have Chuck Arnsberg from Equine Vet Care, um, which is in Fair Hill, Maryland. And Chuck works extensively with advanced digital diagnostic imaging, lameness, orthopedics, and regenerative medicine. He's an FEI and NSA vet and has a keen interest in private sport horse pre-purchase examinations and thoroughbred public auction sales. So welcome to the show, Chuck.
0: Thank you so much for having me, guys. This is fantastic. What exactly
2: is an NSA vet? I don't know a lot about America, but to me the nsa that was something in that will smith movie and you're like following people around so uh, you like I investigating wish it was that exciting
0: yeah. i know yeah i wish it was that exciting no so uh, it's the national steeplechase association and uh, so that, uh, that's yeah so we've got the jumpers um, and so they run over both timber and uh, steeplechase fences um, the nsa be is
2: the accredited You'd be quite close to the uh, Maryland Hunt Cup
0: uh, at Fairhill, would you? Absolutely. That's about an hour south of us. Um, But obviously, we've got the uh, Fairhill races, which are literally across the street. So I can look out the the window of my office, basically, and see the new $20 million uh, timber course that's also home to the new uh, Maryland five-star starting in 2021. Um, So we've got a lot going on right at Fairhill. Uh, but yeah, the NSA racism, actually the NSA, uh, office, the headquarters are based there in Fair Hill, but I wish we wore the little, uh, earplugs and had radios on our, uh, <laughs> our hands and things like that, but not that exciting, unfortunately. Uh,
2: fair enough. Well, it sounds like it's a bit more fun. You can, um, have a drink at the steeplechase. I thought before we get into, um, Kayla will be asking all the proper questions. I am actually i um, interested if you notice any difference in, um, in the injuries you see in um, the horses in training for both either the flat or jump training, because you, I'm guessing you see a bit of both in, in that area. We don't have a lot of it in the area of Australia where I am. Uh, lots of flat racing, but no jump
0: racing. Yeah, we really do, uh, because of the d- different demands, um, we've got young horses, uh, just getting started in their careers when they're running on the flat. And, uh, for instance, uh, as they sort of migrate to their second career, they certainly can, uh, move in into the Northern Virginia and then this Southern, uh, uh Southeastern part of Pennsylvania is real two big centers for steeplechase racing. So a lot of those steeplechasers are not purpose-bred, uh, meaning that they're being, uh, purchased from the track, from the racetrack, from the flat track, um, and being put into their second careers. Um, then, from steeplechasing, some of those horses, as they age, there's actually a minimum age requirement for the timber race horses. So, in some senses, they then go to their third career um, and become timber runners. Um, and then from there, they might even graduate to fox hunting or uh, eventing from there.
2: Yeah, I guess you. It- um, you, when Would you vet them for their careers going to a venting? Is there any, you know, you prefer to get them straight off the track if you're going to be vetting them, or you find it's, um, you know, different but not necessarily worse if you're getting them after a steeplechase career to go into a venting or something like that?
0: I think it's a great question. We, we certainly, like you mentioned earlier, we do see different injuries, and I think it's the wear and tear year after year uh that could probably put a damper on their future sport horse career and so yes i think in general if i was looking for a, a mid-level or upper level event horse i'd be looking um, at thoroughbreds that are coming from a reputable trainer from the flat track are uh, wonderful reputable trainers obviously on steeplechase we work closely with um, those horses have years worth of racing under their legs um, whereas, uh, young race horses, maybe behaviorally, uh, maybe just because of speed, um, or athleticism just don't make it on the flat track. And I think there's a much, much bigger population of horses to pick from. Um, and, and basically most important for a, a potential buyer, um, is the fact that they just have less wear and tear. They've got less race starts, less miles, um, having been raced. So absolutely. I would go with a, a younger uh, thoroughbred from a flat track probably would be my first preference.
1: And I guess that leads us right into what our topic was for this evening, or I guess it'd be aired during the day, but um, old horses, older horses versus younger horses and what we see on vettings. Um, I don't know how to start this topic, but... Maybe going on the fact of the steeplechase horses tend to have longer careers, so they're older, Um, but if they come off the track and they're relatively sound, you wouldn't deter away from them as long as they vetted in a decent way, Correct.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, every horse is individual. We say oftentimes, I mean, uh, there's the right horse for the right client. And so the right client for the, the right horse. And so it's just about matching uh, those two athletes up the the client or the rider and the animal itself. So absolutely. There are lots of wonderful uh, timber horses and lots of wonderful uh, flatters, uh, steeplechase horses, excuse me. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, day there's it's such a smaller population of horses and a lot of those end up uh doing fox hunting Uh, i mentioned that earlier either as their third or fourth career or um they actually are fox hunting all winter and getting legged up um so there's not a lot of uh flat uh work at all done um, they're not show jumping these fences at all. If you've ever been to a steeplechase race, and so yeah. <laughs> um, they're brave. They're definitely brave. And we've got a lot of you know you mentioned eventing. We've got a fair number of local uh, uh, timber uh, jock wannabes uh, who've done really really well in the sense that uh, Boyd Martin has done the Pennsylvania Hunt Cup. Uh, Jenny Branigan um, has uh, run over timber a number of times. Um, and I think both of them have had a lot of fun doing it. Um, but, uh, overall, I think at the end of the day, the, the population of horses that's available coming from the racetrack from the flat track is so much larger than the very niche sport of, uh, timber and, uh, steeple chasing that I think it's probably going to be easier to find a great future prospect out of a, a flat barn, um, than a jumper barn. What are what are some specific issues
2: that you might see on a horse out of a flat stable that, uh, you, you know, that isn't a major problem for you and you'd be recommending the owner, no, this is going to be fine uh, with a
0: bit of time and the appropriate work? Mm-hmm. So many horses, and we, we recognize this more and more in probably the last 15 years or so, but you've probably spoken about it on your podcast uh subchondral bone bruising or uh, um, maladaptive bone disease or plantar palmar palmer, uh, osteoarthrosis, so all these terms that basically are, are bruising, at the bottom, yeah, <laughs> bottom, bruising at the bottom of the cannon bones. And that is specifically a racehorse injury. But given enough time, these horses will absolutely come back 100%. Um, as long as the overlying cartilage is intact and, uh, looking good and nice and thick and healthy. And so this is truly the perfect scenario where you pick up an animal that's quote unquote sore. Um, and it's been diagnosed with, uh, this particular syndrome, um, and given enough, uh, you know, a couple months of turnout, these horses will move like a million dollars, um, after they fully recover. And so, the you know, treatment of choice is basically 90 days of, of turnout, uh, green grass, um, and basically cycling blood in and out of the bottom of their, uh, their cannon bones and those condyles there, um, bringing reparative, um, uh, materials to the bottom of the bone there. And they do really, really well long-term. Um, but they certainly look, you know, they look sore. They look short, um, sticky, uh, it can be behind, it can be in front, it can be on all four limbs, um, so they might be a little uh, sore when you first get them, but they turn around fairly quickly. So on that, you
2: mentioned our POD there, and my stepfather's a flat trainer here in uh, Sydney, and we've got one with that POD. And I obviously you mentioned turning it out with for three months if you were mm-hmm. going to be turning it into a sport horse. Have you got any recommendations as a little aside, you know, just so I can benefit um, to... Uh, help it with its rise in korea
0: yeah i mean at the end of the day we try to get blood flow to the bottom of the bone um yeah so there are a number of different medications we try to use here in america but primarily they're vasodilators so things like aspirin uh things like trentol or pentoxyphiline can bring more blood to the bottom of the bone um this like children and osphos have um, sort of been frowned upon lately because um, and again, when we talk about the flat horse and we, a typical flat horse, when we talk about age, we've got young growing horses. And so we certainly don't want to use any bisphosphonates in young horses with open girth plates. Yeah. But if we had a similar disease in an older horse, like a jumper, for instance, then you could make the argument that a bisphosphonate would certainly help those horses coming off the track. Yeah, and that's now- something to be mindful of.
1: And now, Chuck, how would you diagnose this? these bone bruises? Absolutely.
0: So a lot of times you can get a general impression just by how the horse moves. But as we're all aware in the horse industry, it's really dangerous to uh, make a diagnosis just by watching the horse uh, jog. And, that's, and that being it. So these horses tend not to have any filling in their ankles in general, um, unless there's some other concomitant disease. Um, They tend uh, to flex positive, uh, lower limb flexion. Um, And then certainly if they were lame enough in any particular limb, you could consider blocking um, the specific nerves that innervate the bottom of the condyle there, the bottom of the cannon bone. Um, Or you could do advanced imaging. A lot of times we we don't get into that type of situation in a pre-purchase, but perhaps the horse was already diagnosed by the current trainer and they've decided not to move forward with training, but the the diagnosis uh, of choice, the gold standard, would be a bone scan. So that's the best way to do it. But oftentimes, obviously, we don't do that in a pre-purchase scenario. I need a little pricey, exactly right. Certainly more pricey than X-rays, and it's tough because X-rays, you know, they don't—they're not going to show a lot um, on this particular syndrome and disease. Um, and if you do have abnormal X-rays. Um, with this disease, it's probably indicative that there's a pretty serious uh, syndrome going on. It might be one that you might want to be a little bit more hesitant about.
2: When someone brings a horse to you or presents a horse to you for a pre-purchase, are there any things that you'd like to see owners or sellers in general do better in either you know, the information they give you or the way the horse is presented to you?
0: That is a yeah. That's a great, great question. I got to tell you the, the funniest thing as a FEI vet, um, you mentioned we were talking about the NSA or as an FEI vet in eventing. Uh, we always joke um, in the hold box as you you do a uh, you know the jog and if a horse is held during the horse inspection, they move to the hold box and the hold box veterinarian then is able to perform a, a brief lameness exam uh, and physical exam on the horse. The funniest thing that happens, though, is all the hoof oil that's presented or that the horse has on its uh, feet uh, for the horse inspection. Obviously, the, the rider looks fantastic and uh, very professional and wonderful clothes. The horse is you know impeccably turned out. But, man, the hoof oil is a pain. <laughs> so from an FEI standpoint, I would say no more ho- hoof oil. But from a pre-purchase standpoint, back to your question, I would say uh, – just the the routine. It's amazing, you know. We we go into these exams and we have a million questions for the agent or the seller, and uh, if they can uh, already have uh, available just this simple stuff, vaccine records, dental records, shoeing records, all that simple, boring stuff, paperwork such as uh, health certs or Coggins um, or previous lab work, um, anything that they're comfortable you know sharing. Right? That and sort of sometimes even having that done up as a package. I'll go to some uh, really nice sport horse farms and they I walk in the barn and they present me uh, with all this, all fun center. Um, and center. And just it saves a lot of time, it's very professional. And that's information that we can then directly share with the buyer. Uh, literally just hand over all of that and make it more of a seamless transition. Yeah, no it's more just hoof oil. a bit more
2: respectful no more as well. <laughs> <laughs> no more foil. Yeah,
0: no yeah, more foil. That, hoof oil. That's right. that <laughs> reminds
2: me of uh, when I took my tall boots into the leather worker to get fixed up and I'd clean them and grease them up before I took them in, thinking I'll make them nice and pretty. And he goes, What is this damn grease you've put everywhere? What do you expect <laughs> me to do? Um, so, in that package of uh, information, so I've got a vet coming in about an hour to look at a horse. And I'm just wondering, what's the going rate of money that they should be putting in that package of information to help the sale?
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, dual agency, right? That's that's something a little dangerous, isn't it? <laughs> Working for the have, seller and the buyer. <laughs> have you Have you
2: ever been offered a money or anything like oh. that to help sell a horse?
0: Oh God, no! Not not money. Thank God, that would be incredibly awkward. Um, so no, never been offered any money. The 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 thing that's so common in the horse world is you guys are all well aware. Everybody knows everybody, and what ends up happening is that we commonly uh, go to a barn in which we've actually done some work. Um, it's rare that one horse has one veterinarian. Um, I'm sure you guys use multiple veterinarians and multiple farriers, et cetera. And so um, the more common situation um, is just having uh, a history with the seller, which I think is always important to right off the bat when you're approached by a potential buyer to share that information that you've done some work at that particular barn. Um, And absolutely, if you've ever done work on that animal, um, that conversation has to occur right off the bat. Um, You know, in, in vet school, they told us here in America that, uh, pre-purchase exams are the, um, most litigious. They're the most, uh, uh most the easiest way for vets to get sued is to do pre-purchase exams. So it's, it can be a little dicey, but I think communication is so important and being open right off the bat. And the same information I give to the, uh, buyer is the same information that I want to give to the seller. Um, and if they have any questions for me. So sharing all that right up front is very, very important. But no, I've never been offered uh, any money. So maybe I should <laughs> I should look into that. I don't know. I was
2: gonna
1: say that sounds like some dodgy Australian stuff right there. <laughs> are
2: there are there any things that you're doing differently with pre post examinations uh, now as opposed to when you went
0: through veterinary school? Oh, I I think so. I would say that um, there's more documentation in general, definitely more documentation about everything. Uh, It's saving every text message, saving every email. uh, The amount of images that get shared uh, that are zipping around the internet between veterinarians is amazing. Um, Oftentimes we'll see full sets of images before even seeing the horse. Um, which can be helpful or or can complicate things. Um, But certainly it's communication, recording of that communication, and all the imaging that's available now and the the ease in which it's shared.
1: Well, and all the the, um, videos that get shared too, you know, here's the video of me trying the horse. Here's the video of when we jogged it before you got here, things like that. So, Absolutely. I mean, just yeah, the ease really of the information um, yeah. has become that's clear. Very, very,
0: important. It's so important, though, for, you know, even though it's so easy for all this information to flow, I mean, it is wonderful when a, a rider or a trainer or a buyer has actually sat on that particular horse. Um, the sight unseen ones are a little concerning, or a little worrisome, add a little extra um, uh, it, discomfort um when we're being you know asked to assess the animal uh without knowing anything about the potential
2: buyer well chuck thank you very much for coming on it's great to have another charles on the show and i hope the listeners take note of your advice if they ever have to book you for a pre-purchase so if anyone wants to get in contact with you either the book of vetting general vet work, or, um, ask you any questions, what's the
0: best way they can contact you? I would say go right through our uh, website, com, or you can send an, uh, an email to info at equinevetcare.com. If you want to pick up the phone, the phone number is right there on the website as well. So yeah. Thank you guys so much for awesome. having me. Awesome. Thanks mate. Hopefully see you soon.
2: Absolutely. Cheers.
1: Well, that was a great show. Um, I can be found at Kayla Benny or Selkuthsporthorses.com on Facebook, my website. Um, I've got TikTok, Kayla Benny, Instagram, Selkuthsporthorses. Sport Horses, and Charlie. Where can they find you?
2: Oh yeah, bristerequestrian.com dot com, and also Barista Equestrian on Facebook and Instagram, and. That's where I'll be posting all the horses I have for sale, so get around it. You can find the links to today's guests and the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can also follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. Also, don't forget our Facebook page, Insights on Sales and Breeding. You can have all the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with the free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your App Store and search horse radio network and also i believe kayla glenn and jamie are going to be back live next monday
1: and well that's exciting and thank you to our sponsors our title sponsors supreme top form and thank you to charlie for coming on and hosting with me and remember riding like life doesn't need to be perfect to be wonderful give your horse a pat after every ride
2: That's right, eat right, nap repeat,
3: people.